Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we're committed to resourcing people in worshiping God and serving others meaningfully for community transformation. Here is the week's teaching. Thank you. God bless you so much. So, welcome to Garage. Uh, it's, it's a great time to be together. So, I want to set some expectations because you may have come with some expectations which is great. I want to see if I can raise them a little bit higher. If you came with no expectation, that's also okay. I'm going to give you some. And if you came with very high expectations, keep it right there. Because our God is more than able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask all. Imagine. You know when the preacher has first set the vision for the sermon before it's preached. So, expectation one. God is going to encourage people here. You are going to be encouraged. I know that there are people here who are discouraged. For whatever reason, you came in and you're not feeling up to it. Have you ever walked around and it's like someone tied a small stone on a string and they tied it around your heart and it's inside there going like bloop, bloop, bloop. Maybe it never happened to you. I know it happens to adults a lot. And so you can be discouraged. And I know that God wants to encourage you, whoever you are. Your situation is not permanent. Amen. So, watch out for that encouragement as we minister to you. Two, some of you, God is going to speak to you very clearly. Here is a surprising thing. He will even speak to you, some people, about something that I'm not talking about at all. Like in the first service, come, someone came up here and testified about how God had spoken to them very clearly about something that is totally different from what I was preaching. So for some of you, that's going to be the case. Others, it will be what I'm preaching. Whatever it is, write it down so you don't forget it. Write it down and date it. Today is the 4th of February, 2018. Are those good enough? Third expectation. Some people are going to be healed in your bodies. Amen? You know, it's funny when you read the Bible. You go and Google healing in the Bible. Okay, not Google. Go to a Bible engine, U version, Bible gateway, and type healing. You'll be surprised how eager God is to heal. Eh? It's like he can't help himself. Are you with me? Worship harvest people. That's one of the things that should happen regularly in our meetings. Why? Because if you read the Gospels, you'll find that everywhere where Jesus went, people got healed. Everywhere. Without exception. People got healed where Jesus went. Here is what's even more interesting. Even when he went to people who did not believe, like people who are jumped they jump to believe. They're like, ah, this is Joseph's son, Mary's son, his brother, his son, so we know him. The Bible says he could not do any mighty work there except heal a few folks. Like when Jesus is having a really bad day at the office, the least he can do is what? Heal. Why does God want to heal us? Because he's a loving father. Because he's our loving father, 
It is his will that we don't go around carrying pain when he can take it away because that pain makes us ineffective as agents of the kingdom. All right? You may have your own theology on the lack thereof about healing. I just read it in the Bible. Everywhere Jesus went, people got healed. And where two or three or more are gathered, what did he say? He's here in our midst. So if he's here, then guess what? He, he has to heal, right? That's the third expectation. Fourth expectation is that some people are going to receive incredible miracles. Like for some people, God wants to prove to you eh, that he is God and that he loves you. And that that thing which you, you've just said, it's impossible. It's possible. Amen. So, enough of setting expectations. We can now start. Yeah, that's like when you've just got onto the plane, then they say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to flight garage. Uh, what? Captain is Captain Jesus. And he knows where he's taking us. Sit back, relax, and receive. Alright, so, grace so amazing. And today we are talking about the fact that all things are new in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Right? Now, it's amazing how a decision can change your life forever. Right? Have you made some of those life-changing decisions? Life-altering decisions? Like, you go to bed one night and you go to bed the next night a completely different person because of the decision you've made. Not too long ago, in 2003, May 10th, it was a Saturday, at 11 a.m. sharp, I was suited up and I got into that chapel and walked down the aisle. It's called the wrong walk to freedom. <laughs> Someone has said, no. <laughs> it's a different kind of freedom. So, walked down the aisle, got there, and a few minutes later, my wife walks, at that time, not my wife, walks in with her dad, looking sp splendid. Uh -huh. Splendid. She came in, and we, Angela, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> and we committed to one, another, and we said those Vows. The solemn vows. It's important you say it correctly. Some guy was there doing the vows. He said, this is my Solomon vow. Now, if you've read about Solomon, you can't be doing Solomon vows at your wedding because then the other people are wondering how, what kind of commitment it is you are making. You understand? Someone went on a very, very fast date, and when they were talking, they, they asked, sir, what, what, when is your birthday? 25th. Huh? 20 what? 
you can guess where that went. Now, of course, some of you don't see any problem with 25th. <laughs> it's 25th. Okay? 25th. Not 25th. If you say 25th, and then they don't call you for another date, don't wonder what happened. I've already advised you I'm being pastoral right now. I'm a good spiritual parent. I, I want the date to lead to another one and then other things. But when you go 25th, anyway. So anyway, we, <laughs> we said uh, solemn vows, not Solomon vows. And behold, I was married. Like, it sounds like a joke, but I was completely. At 11 a.m., I was a bachelor. At midday, I was married. Everything changed. It's been now 14 years. And counting. And some really good years, if you ask me. Like... If you ask me to take that, the wrong walk to freedom was worth it. Amen. It changed my life. Everything changed. Everything changed. Like, that, that's one of those things that decisions you make that changes your life forever. And sometimes we underestimate what happens when we come to Christ. And how much that changes our lives. We, we don't have a good, many times, we don't have a good grasp of what it is that happened. But I can tell you, that's radical. That's too radical, if you ask me. Look at Second Corinthians 5. Now we're going to be going all the way to 21 if we are lucky. But if lunch comes, we'll just stop. That's my promise. Another expectation. What does it say in verse 14? Together, let's read together. It says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. I don't hear you. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. For the love of Christ compels us that if one died for all, then all died. This is radical. This is dangerous. If you believe this thing, it's dangerous. If you make a decision today to believe this stuff, you're going to become dangerous. One died for all, and all died. Now, let, let me clarify. The Christian life is not a changed life. Rather, it is an exchanged life. That's exactly what happens. Like, it, it's... God in Christ came and looked at us, losers, enemies, uh, wicked, 
sinners. And it's like, the wages of sin is what? Death. You deserve it. You brought it on yourselves. You shouldn't have talked to the serpent. <laughs> Among other things. And then what does he do? The sinless, awesome, incredible son of God comes and says, you know what? I am going to take your place. And I'm going to die your death for you. Such that every time you will now be considered to have died your own death for your sins. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Before. By the way, I have been known to be capable of being excited all by myself. <laughs> the other thing that when you sit there in your chair and you just look at me with one holy, with one spiritual eye like this, like I will turn down. No, I'm going to get excited because this is too good to be true. So he says, Robinson, you deserve death. Hillary, you deserve death. Janet, you deserve death. You have brought it upon yourself. You deserve death. And says, now I'm going to die your death for you. So that everyone who finds you just be like, oh, that one already paid for all their sins. Now, there is a theory in the body of Christ. I call it a theory. I don't even know whether it's a theology. Where people think that you can progressively, that God forgives your sins progressively, little by little, as you confess them, feel sorry about them, promise that you will never do them again, then he forgives that one. Then he keeps forgiving one at a time. And it comes from First John 1, 8 and 9. Total misinterpretation, but I will not go there. Now, can I tell you why that doesn't work? Because the payment was made once. Once for all. Now that idea of, of, of Christian living is so bad. It's not attainable. In fact, like, uh, like one preacher says, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. You being acceptable to God, like you've worked on it, it's not difficult. It's impossible. You can't do it. So what does he do? He says, yeah, I know you can't do it. Now we are going to give it to you as a gift. We are going to give you life, eternal connection with God. This is eternal life that they may know him. You, the only true God and Jesus whom you said. He says, we are going to give it to you as a what? A gift. And all you have to do is what? Receive it. And boy, have people been sweating over that for hundreds of years, thousands of years, people are sweating over the receiving aspect because for some reason, they feel like it's not fair. Of course, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair that for all the bad you have done, you can receive all this good. 
receive all that good it's not fair yes it's not fair the only way it becomes fair is that someone has paid all the death for all the bad you have ever done so that you can receive all the good and all the life that he deserves for all the good that he ever did and his name is Jesus You know, as you grow older, you start developing uh, theological positions that you stand by. You know, when you grow older, your mind starts disturbing. So here's a simple one. There's only one God and you're not him. That's a good one. <laughs> that means you can't pay for your sins. You can't pay for your sins. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge that if one died for all, then all died. One writer wrote and said, you can take the sinner to church. You can teach the sinners to sing worship songs. You can take the sinner to prayer meetings. You can teach the sinner to read their Bible. You can teach the sinner to pray. You can teach the sinner to give. You can teach the sinner to do everything that makes them look as if they're on their way towards God. But God requires only one thing of the sinner. Execution. The sinner must die. Because the wages of sin is The sinner must die. I'm a good person. I don't drink. The sinner must die. And what does he do? He takes the place of the sinner, dies the sinner's death, and says, welcome. It's all free. And what do sinners do? Instead of breaking out in pandemonium and thanksgiving, they are still trying to figure out how they can contribute to their own salvation. They are like people who are shifting from uh, uh, Nigeria to, to where? To where? To Chitukutwe. And then they hire a, a, a pickup. Everyone shifts at night for some reason. I don't know why. They hire a pickup, they put all the things on there, and then once they've sat at the back of the truck, I remember, this is so easy. Then they want to pick up the suspens and carry them on their head so that they feel like they have also contributed to the shifting. That's what's happening in church. People are seated in the truck carrying stuff. Put it down! Relax! That's why you are not that's why you find mean, annoyed people in church. They just don't know that their sins were paid for and they can relax and rejoice 
and love people. Walk around like Old Testament prophets. Thus saith the Lord. No, look, come on. Even God is not that serious. You can relax. Let's re let me tell you, people. Let's relax. God has loved us and has made the full payment. If one died for all, then all died. If you are in Christ, your synometer reads zero. Because dead people are not subject to judgment. Okay. I've probably scandalized enough people already. Look at Romans 6, 11. It says, likewise, you also, uh-huh. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, it says, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. What makes you dead to sin? Because one died for you, and therefore you were considered what? Dead. So he says, hey, take this thing seriously. Consider yourself dead to sin. Amen. Ha, ha, ha. This is going well. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, we've been loved so much. He says, therefore, from now on, verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. He says, from now on, now that we've come to Christ, now that we died with him and have been raised with him. That's why he says, for those who live should live for him. If you died with him, why is he talking about life? He's talking about the new life, the resurrected life, right? You know, there is a crucifixion, then a resurrection in that order. So he says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Ah, you people, there are some verses in the Bible which you find and you're like, this one, let's just, let's just say they put it there by mistake. Let's move on. Because they're like, how am I supposed to believe that? Have you found some of those? Huh? Like, what? How shall he not together with him freely give us all things? You're like, how am I supposed to believe that? Just want to tear it out of your Bible. Nowadays, Bibles are digital, so you can't tear it out. You have to crack the screen. But it says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Starting with ourselves. Starting with yourself. Starting with yourself. So, let me give you an example. So he says, we have known Christ according to the flesh, but now we don't even know him like that. So you, you, want, you can imagine that Paul, having lived in Jerusalem, etc., he knew Jesus. Jesus was a popular figure. He, he used to come around, miracles, chaos, what, and then he disappears until the final time when he came and died. So he could tell, they, this, like, you know, we have seen him. The disciples had seen him. Many of us say, Man, if only we had lived in Jesus' times. Woo! That multiplying bread, what? That was nice. No, it wasn't. It wasn't easy. Because the Bible says that we looked at him and there was nothing in him to be desired. 
There was nothing special about him. You would have come and said, this is the son of God. I'm like, now we stop joking. That's why you are better off knowing him by faith, not according to the flesh. Because a guy comes and they've just multiplied bread. People have eaten. Everyone is like, woo, woo. Then says, I want to go to the toilet. Hey. He's about to unleash divine poopoo in there. Are you seeing the struggle? He says, I'm hungry. You're like, hungry? I'm tired. I need to sleep. And that's the son of God. You will have struggled. So we don't know him according to the flesh. We know him by faith. That's why the resurrected Christ, you can read all the instances where when Christ was resurrected, he would come around and the very people he had spent three and a half years with could not recognize him. Same person, not recognizable. Why? Resurrected body, he's in the spirit. First instance was who? Mary Magdalene uh -huh, at the tomb. She comes out crying and she finds this guy and she's thinking that he's the gardener. Asks him, sir, where have you put him? Three feet away from Jesus. She couldn't tell this is Jesus. She had spent all that time with him. She couldn't tell it was Jesus. And usually he would manifest himself by his word. So he just called her name, Mary. And her eyes were open. She said, Rabboni. Remember that? Then there are the guys who are on their way to Emmaus. It's Emmaus. Not Emmaus. Emmaus is in the, that's the Luganda Bible, okay? So when you're out there preaching uh, online with your Facebook live feed, and the Lord was going to Emmaus. Oh, there were no, oh no, where are you? Now, so <laughs> those guys are walking, and Jesus comes, walks with them. He's like, hey, you guys are looking sad, what's up? Like, this one who doesn't know what's happening in Jerusalem. Eh, they walk. Then he started sharing with them the scriptures. Huh? They were on the road to Emmaus. I don't know whether that's where they were going, but it was the road to Emmaus. You know, like how it can be evil, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> so as they walked, he talked with them and they. You know, nothing happened, so he pretended he was going further on. They constrained him. He went in, had dinner with them. And then he opened his, their eyes, and they realized he was the one. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he shared the scriptures? I know that a lot of us like to have experiences of God, but I can assure you the scripture is a much more reliable witness than an experience. Because you can build on the scripture several experiences, but you can't build on an experience knowledge. You can build on the scripture several experiences, but you can't build on an experience knowledge. Otherwise, all those 5,000 people who had eaten divine bread from heaven will have become disciples. Free, free. <laughs> Be like, 
all those people who received miracles by cuts of Jesus, where were they? Why weren't they in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? Why didn't they, they followed all the way? I digress. Where were we? Emmaus. So he, he, he opens their eyes and they are like, wow, we should have known as he spoke. And the stories go on and on. One time he comes by the lakeside and those people have gone back fishing. He's like, children, do you have any bread? And they, they don't know. Uh, by the way, this is not, you might think that having seen him once, eh? after the resurrection, like one time see, sight, then from there they would know what he looks like. No. This is another time. He finds them by the lake. Like, do you have any breakfast? What? He made breakfast. Then they are there. Then he said, cast your nets on the other side. And the same thing that happened in the beginning happened and they caught so much fish. That's when Peter says, it is the Lord. You will not know God except by revelation. We know no one according, we regard no one according to their flesh. Do you know the difference it would make to your relationships and your marriage if any, if you start seeing your spouse as a child of God. Because right now, probably, you've been totally operating in the flesh. It's that guy who doesn't know where to put his socks. It is that baby who doesn't want yeah. hey, Let me ask you, how much joy has that released in your, in your union? the more you regard the person according to the flesh and they are either failures or accomplishments. How much joy has that brought to your union? You don't have to give me the answer. Zero. How do you take it from where you are? Start regarding them according to the spirit. Start honoring them. Just look at your spouse and say, wow, this is a son of God. This is a daughter of God. I married into the right family. Some of you can't even get that. Oh, God. Anyway, yeah, lunch, 15 minutes away. Guys, that, that, that's the thing. That you people, we are not in this thing of just convincing ourselves, banange, what, hell, heaven. No, we have inherited the kingdom of God. We have the best deal going for anyone in the universe. We regard no one according to the flesh. God has revealed himself to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That we can live victorious lives day by day. Challenges will come, we overcome them. One at a time. By the way, for those of you, if you have problems, here is what you do with your problems. You tell them to line up one behind each other. Don't allow them to crowd around. You tell them, line up. Even if there are 300 problems, they should be in single file. Then you deal with one at a time. That's how you deal with problems. Don't ever allow problems to overwhelm you. Just tell them, line up, line up. Rent, what, school fees, just line up. It's okay, uh-huh. You, psh, like that. That's how they deal with problems. Eh? <laughs> 
Amen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's not that old things are sort of passing away while we embrace some new things. No, 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 no. Have passed, have become new. All things are new. All things. And it says, now all things are of God. It doesn't say, huh, now there are some things which are of God, but now there are some stubborn things which are of the flesh which have jumped to God. No. Now things are of God who has reconciled us. Has reconciled us. Has re past tense. Has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the same ministry of what? Of reconciliation that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. How does the holy God reconcile with the sinful world? Not imputing their trespasses to them. Imputing, that's an accounting term. Now, there are some people who claim that January has 79 days. Those people are not here. Because for us, we belong to a different kingdom. We operate in a different economy. In fact, one of my friends here told me they've made more money in January than they made in the whole year. Like, you make more money in one month, which everyone is lamenting, than you made in a whole year. And then the year before that. And then the year before that. One month. Eh, don't hate. Just celebrate with the people. Eh, eh, yeah, let's give God the praise. Because that's not possible by man, is it? Only God. You know, some of us need to move to a place in life where you can have quite a testimony. You can point to something and say, only God could have done that. Some of us, we've been working so hard for ourselves, God has no room to show himself strong. You need to position yourself to walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. If for you, you have been providing for yourself. Let me tell you, you're not such a good provider for yourself. You run yourself sick providing for yourself. Let the Father provide for you. Do you know the purpose of work? Generosity says that let him who, who uh, Banyambe. People at the front, usually you're supposed to know the scriptures. Let him who stole, steal no longer, but rather let him labor with his own hands that he may have something to give to those who are in need. That's the whole point of work. It's for us to have something to give to those who are in need, not to provide for ourselves. Because we have a father. And I tell you, ever since I started trusting God to provide for me, he has done a much better job than I was doing for myself. Hey. Hey. I can bring Congolese music here. <laughs> hallelujah, Kembala Yahweh, hallelujah. Uh. Gaina Kalimbali Susute O Kosale La Yo Yahweh Didum 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 Wadanana Pedidu Ah Dum de Du Didi Du Du 
And bed, and bed. I love my life. I can't exchange it for any of yours. Because your people don't know how to have fun. Yeah? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How? By not imputing their trespass. I was telling you about the people who think they are 79 days in January. And then what happens? You befriend that lady who owns the kiosk near your, where you rent. You know that kiosk? You know that kiosk? Eh? Like a shop, eh? And then, because you're friends, you're able to get some things with the promise that you will pay when your salary finally comes. So you have your own book in there. You, kid of sugar, they write. They write. So what are they doing as they write the things you've taken without paying? They are imputing. That's imputing. Imputing. Maze flour imputed. Wheat flour imputed. Dry beans imputed. What? What was that? Black what? Eggs imputed. Mukene imputed. Even airtime imputed. And the, the lady's expectation is at the end of the month you will come and balance out the books when you go and pay and balance the books, that's what is called justification. Justice is served in that you've paid for your imputed debts. Are you with me? Now, how God has dealt with the world, God has enacted this thing I call preemptive reconciliation where he is not imputing their sins against them. And he has committed to us that word and that ministry to go and tell the whole world, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Come to the one and believe and receive. Now, of course, amen. Thank you. Thank you. That's encouraging. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. Now, of course, let's assume that your imputation per month is about 300,000 at that shop. Right? 300K. Then at the end of the month, you come and clear out 300K. Now, here is what God has done in Christ. He has deposited with that lady about 500 billion. Someone has got it. Someone has got it. Now, for you, your 300K in a year will be 3.6 million. Right? In 10 years, it will be 36 million. If you live 100 years, it will be 360 million. But what, how much has it deposited? 500 billion. For where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. For some of us, the picture we have of God's forgiveness is that he also comes at the end of the month and clears out the 300k you, you were imputed. No, 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 no. 
he paid for it in advance and he made an overpayment so that you can never out sin his grace. Of course, he asks, shall we now sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But this is good news to people who have been wondering if they are in God's good books. Now, if you are a very religious person who thinks that you have been working hard for your salvation, this is really bad news. This is bad news. It couldn't get worse than this. You're like, unfair, unfair. <laughs> unfair. Unfair. It's as unfair as those guys whom Jesus talks about. Some guys came at 6 a.m. Some guys came at 6 p.m. The salaries were given out at 7 p.m. And everyone got the same. Unfair. Unfair. Yes. It's not you. It's Jesus. There's only one God and you're not him. It's Jesus. God forbid that I stand here and preach to you and not tell you about Jesus. Amen. He says he has made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we having that that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Awesome. Do we have two responses? Two questions, comments, queries? Complications, you just come, tell us your name and make your comment. You're welcome to do that. Awesome. No questions? None whatsoever? All right. I, I think I've delivered on some expectations. Some people God has spoken to you. Some people are encouraged. Some people are receiving miracles. Some people are getting healed even as I preach. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0312-281-555.